1: Hello and welcome to All Things Policy. My name is Rohan and I am here today with Sapni Jee Krishna and Pratik It's been a crazy week or a month as far as tech developments have been concerned and we are here for a catch-up episode of sorts, especially with the intersection of tech and war and geopolitics. It's an interesting episode to be doing but before we go in, if you like the kind of stuff that we talk about on this podcast, consider signing up for our public policy courses we offer specializations in health and governance in technology policy in public policy and defense and foreign affairs so let's sort of begin I want to preface this episode by saying that we're going to be talking about Russia and Ukraine a fair bit and how sort of tech companies have been in the middle of all of this and generally we've seen that tech plays an important role as far as protests are concerned as far as war is concerned for example Manoj and I did a paper looking at our framework of radically networked societies and how protests in Hong Kong were enabled by technology and if you can go find that it's on the website we'll put it in the show notes but given that the tech is sort of embedded and integrated into how these things develop let's start and talk about again in the meat of it and talk about how states have acknowledged that tech is sort of the building block of how they're going to approach some of these things and talk about how states have. Ask the tech companies to do certain things. So I'll begin with you, Prateek. Can you talk to me about the situation and what states have been asking of tech companies?
2: Yeah, so so let's start with before the actual invasion, right? The last week of February. So even before that, and and, and I think we've discussed this on previous episodes in the context of hostage-taking laws, et cetera. But Russia had this law that's been nicknamed the landing law, right? Which is parts of it were also coming into effect on I think the, the end of Feb. One of the aspects of that law was that the tech companies to set up local offices or basically have legal entities set up in in Russia, uh, and this goes back to you know the episode we did about the Nawalny app, which was taken down, and the potential that local employees may have been threatened before it took action against that. Right. So there is this looming specter of this landing law that that was playing a role, and I think sometime in November last year, November twenty twenty one, about thirteen companies were notified basically by the Russian government as being under this law, and I think I'll just quick, quickly run through the list. Right, that was Meta, Twitter, TikTok, Like Me, Viber, Telegram, Discord, Zoom, Apple, Google, Spotify, and Twitch. Right? so these were the these were the companies that, that were basically required to set up uh, local offices, and I think the status seems to have been that Apple, TikTok, and Spotify had complied. Although we'll probably come to Spotify a little later in terms of uh, how it responded. Twitch and Telegram have not. And I think Facebook, Twitter have partially complied. And as far as I know, this is you know still not confirmed. As far as I know, they, at least Twitter did not set up a local office as per the deadline. And so when all this broke out, I think Russia sort of reiterated this landing law aspect that they needed to set up these the, the offices. So now let's just quickly go back, go to Ukraine before coming back to what Russia did. Right? Now again, uh, before getting to you know the ask from the, the Ukrainian government, I do want to acknowledge the fact that, look, that is a country at war, so they are within their rights to make whatever type of asks that, that they feel protect their interests. The complicated part is how the rest of the world then, then responds and looks at it in terms of the kind of precedents that... And it's important to call out I think, the role that digital minister has played. And I think he's also the, the vice prime minister, right? Mikhailo Fedorov, and I may be mispronouncing that name. But it will be interesting to watch how, you know, okay, So he's been using his... Uh, Twitter account very effectively to make appeals to to various platforms and tech companies to to take certain action and it, it started off with asks to to Google to restrict I think Google Pay and Google Market to YouTube to block essentially Russian state media channels and Facebook and Instagram to block access for citizens of the Russian Federation and this is in the tweet he also noted that the goal is not to block information sources but engage in courts youth proactive and smart people. At one point, there was also uh, an ask to the the cryptocurrency community to pass on any information about uh, wallets that belongs to Russian and Belarusian politicians. And this escalated later on with saying that, hey, okay. He also then asked for cryptocurrency exchanges to block addresses of Russian users, saying that it's crucial to go beyond just politicians, right? There was also a call that was put out for an IT army of sorts, and, and I think thousands of people signed up for that. But so far, this has been on the likes of, and then I think it's been on the likes of the largely restricting information. At least you look at the context of the asks that were made of social media platforms, but it also then started to expand beyond that, right? So I think there were asks for Viber and, and PayPal to block services in Russia effectively, right? And I, I think one ask that still stands out and I think it's listed on Twitter account as being an important one is that Visa and MasterCard should block services on all cards. In Russia. Right? And the last couple of days, there's also been a shift towards asking web infrastructure companies, right? So, in terms of Cloudflare and, and IBM, right? Asking them to not protect Russian web resources from DDoS attacks and, and, and things like that, right? So, it's been interesting to watch how these how different types of platforms and companies have been pulled into this, right? In terms of being asked to, to pick a side or, or take some sort of action. Uh, I think earlier this week, there was also a phase where a lot of gaming game streaming companies were asked to prevent Russians from participating in eSport events. Also asked, I think the likes of Epic Games, Nintendo, Rockstar Games, a few others to halt games in Russia. I'm not sure what exactly halt in in Russia mean, But you, you you've seen that. And I think they're gonna ask for uh, Oracle and, and SAP to to stop product, services and software updates, etc. Right. So and, and I think one of the two of the major one that it had, so I referenced to the MasterCard visa and the other was, I think, essentially asking Apple and Google to block the App Store and the, and the Play Store uh, in Russia, right? Now, the way the Russian government has responded, I think, is so as platforms have then started fact-checking, or labeling content put out by by Russian state media. I think they asked for for that to stop happening. And when that didn't happen, they took to throttling Facebook and Twitter. I think NetBlocks, et cetera, have been following that post and, and I think regular tweets showing that the traffic appears to be appears to be throttled. The other of course aspect is the EU in general, right? Which is also talking about we don't have a lot of details on this. One is that you know, they they had asked platforms to block Russian state media channels, which I think as time has progressed, most of them have done in various stages but most of them have done that. The other thing that they pointed out was that they want to build tools to block their in quote, disinformation in Europe which is interesting because it will be interesting to see how that plays out what sort of tools you develop etc. But you know I, I think we, we'll come back to that in the application bit of it right? but this is where it is from a state's perspective and, and what's happening.
1: Alright. Thanks for that Pratik. I think that was quite insightful. I want to get into how tech companies have responded across the board but before we do that let's take a quick commercial break. Hi, welcome back. I'm talking to Prateek Bagre and Sapni Jee Krishna. And uh, Sapni, let's begin with you. Let's talk about how tech companies have responded across resources, across platforms and so on. So yeah, over to you.
0: Right. Thanks, Val. I think right, very similar to what uh, Prateek has been Hanish, earlier mentioned about a bunch of services that stage requests on tech companies. A, a lot of them have already taken steps. So one would be obviously uh, with respect to semiconductor chips, I think AMD, Intel, and obviously DSMC has temporarily paused sales and even shipping, to the best of my knowledge, of chips to Russia. Then on top of that, we also have Apple and Google sort of draining in on the App stores and the availability of Russian state media. And something very similar is uh, happening with Microsoft as well is also said that it will remove state-owned media apps from uh, Windows, their Windows platforms. And interestingly, even uh, GoDaddy, they are also no longer accepting new registrations. And the same thing, I think, with respect to Oracle, something very similar is happening with respect to their cloud services, where temporarily after, uh, as uh, Prateek had pointed out, the vice prime minister's requests, they have temporarily suspended operations in Russia. And even I think something very interesting is there is the local ride-hailing app in Russia. It's called Yandex.taxi. So Uber has quite some share in in the Russian ride-hailing service and it's sort of trying to distance itself from the same and accelerating its exit from the shares it holds of uh, Yandex.taxi. And yeah, coming more into the DCN part of it, which we often talk about, First is Meta, right? So, with respect to Facebook, WhatsApp, and Instagram, they seem to have restricted access to the Russian state media, and particularly within the EU. And also, as Pratik mentioned, fact checking is something they rejected, or I mean, the plea of the Russian state to stopping and labeling of content. And they've also on the monetizing in ads front most of the big tech companies have sort of taken sides with the the NATO part of the conflict with Ukraine, where Twitter, Meta, Google, all of them have sort of toned down the ability of Russian state media to have, I mean, Russian state media, and even in many cases, in the entirety of Russia, the ability to monetize content that has, that seems to have gone down, that seems to have been taken, like the plug seems to have been taken off. And Yeah, on YouTube, obviously, we see that uh, Russian state media's ability for monetization of content has gone down. And interestingly, uh, Netflix has also refused to air Russian state media channels on its streaming service. And TikTok also sort of has, I think, made restrictions to state-controlled, state-owned media, Russian state-owned media. And that's a bunch of things DCNs have done. And it's also interesting to note that there are further steps taken in the platform space by individuals who identify as Ukrainians or individuals who identify with the cause of the Ukrainians, ranging from online platforms for volunteering with respect to war efforts on a range of things, right from being a part of the Cyber One initiatives to volunteering for other causes. There are platforms that have sprung up, something which is even more, I think, worrying as a trend would be how this is effectively a, a full-blown cyber war, I would say, with the amount of... But, but the narrative clearly seems to be in Ukraine's side. Where they have tried to counter misinformation that comes from the Russian side, which seems to be very loud, at least in Russia, with respect to the conversation that the Russian bubble is sort of experiencing with on the invasion. So there is quite some stuff happening on the tech and DC and stuff.
2: Yeah, I, I just want to add, because this is such a fast developing situation. I think by the time this episode comes out, we probably have a lot more happen. I think, for example, I think just before we started this, I I, I was trying to see what, what's the latest. And it looks like even Reddit has gone and essentially blocked the ability to link to Russian state media worldwide, right? This is after they you know, a bunch of subreddit may have already done this. And they'd also already quarantined, I think, our Russia subreddit, right? So there is there's a whole lot of stuff happening, I think, between... There's a good chance that between now when we're recording this and the time this episode actually comes out, we'd probably see a lot more uh, action as well. The interesting one, I think, was also to, to the extent that... Just to, you know, so there it was an interesting one. I think this week there was also some action taken by OnlyFans, right? Uh, in the sense that they had blocked Russian creator accounts. A lot of them were temporarily locked out or weren't able to access their payment. I believe that was reversed later. And I think in the statement, it seems to, you know, from the company itself, it seems to be some fallout of the, the Swift restrictions. But it's it's interesting to watch how this is taking place at so many different levels, right? Essentially, any place where information can be contested, this is playing out. And another example was, I think, Google Maps is having to, Google Maps and TripAdvisor are having to restrict the ability to post reviews for certain properties because they were being used to basically make statements about the situation, right? So it's playing out everywhere. It'll, wherever you can publish information, I think that this is playing out on the internet. So we'll have to see where this goes.
1: Right. Thanks, guys. I want to sort of quickly get into the precedent that this is setting because, of course, this is an exceptional situation, but the actions tech platforms take here are going to have the ripple effects and I want to understand them better. So do you guys want to take a crack at that? Maybe Sapni and then Prati
0: yeah i think it's it's very interesting to sort of at this point a lot of these steps seem to be unavoidable because obviously a good number of people i think agree that the invasion was an excessive use of aggressive force so because of the those reasons to protect the state's sovereignty to protect the people it's it is imminent that such steps be taken but how does this work out in another situation how does this work out in a non european situation how does this work out when other authoritarian regimes sort of ask the step maybe the ability for them or the president said that they can also ask come. maybe cut off channels for the larger population for their own to, to advance their agenda they i don't i don't think it looks like it looks rosy and another thing is it, it's it's another demonstration of the extent of power these platforms have over the real-life consequences of things that happen anywhere across the globe. So how does this happen if something like this happens in India or something like this happens elsewhere, as I said, outside of the Europe? If American tech companies, majorly a good bunch of American investor tech companies, have the access to quote-unquote kill switches like these, I think it should be. Th- these are advancements we should be uh, thinking about, and these are steps we should be thinking about with a lot of nuance.
2: Yeah, yeah. So there's definitely big split in energy right coming out of this whole this whole situation. The fact that tech companies are taking such actions in a way again, and then quote, I think, what what everything do Right. It seems like a lot of these actions are being taken without us having some sort of normative framework for making these decisions. Right now, something like Google and Apple, you know, restricting live location on their maps in Ukraine you can see how how that plays into the conflict versus cutting off russian users wholesale from google pay right there, there has to be that aspect of that question of proportionality as well right what guardrails are platforms using to make these to make these decisions right and, you know it, it in my view it should be about restricting or preventing loss of life in ukraine beyond that is something where we need to think very carefully right because there is like I said, there is very clear splinter net trajectories that this is setting us down the path of, right? Any country that wants strategic autonomy in the information states is going to be sitting back and thinking, hey, we need to shore up our own assets because we don't want to be at the mercy of these transnational corporations with, with immense power that will turn us off for seemingly no, no reason, right? Or cut off for so, so seemingly no reason. So I think we need to be pretty careful here in terms of what's what happening. And then I think I forgot to, uh, I overlooked, I, I missed mentioning one of the asks on ukraine government which was also essentially asking for the russian country level country code top level domains to be to be restricted in some way or the other right without getting into the details of their uh, of the letter that, that they had sent so you know there, there is that you know if there actually was the ability to follow through on that and someone actually, and the various organizations actually gone and done that what would that have meant for here yeah, from a proportionality perspective be from, from the future of the internet perspective to the aspects I think to consider as well. There's another theme that I want to touch on unsurprisingly it's from the information ecosystem misinformation kind of space. One narrative that we're seeing playing out is that look Russia has lost the information war right and I think I think that's an extremely interesting one in the sense that you're seeing you know a lot of narratives that aren't really being contested in the same way that a pro-Russian narrative would be Right. And I think this is again, so, so the question to ask here is what's changed, right? Because I think 2016 to 2020, there's the general belief that drastic disinformation is very effective. 2022, now we seem to be seeing the limitations, right? So what's changed, right? Is it that we're in an environment where we're already, you know, a lot of people are essentially have already decided that they are going to take an, a position against Russia, which is why the belief seems to be, right? And again, this is not really empirically proven. Right? Uh, the belief seems to be that Russia has lost the information war. So, so th- there are some aspects to consider there as well. And we'll have to see how that uh, plays out in, in the coming weeks.
1: Hey, thanks for that, Pratik. I, As you said, I think it's a developing story. We'll see how this intersection plays out. And we'll keep a close eye on this. So thanks, Pratik. Thanks, Pagasapani, for joining in. And we will see you guys in the next episode of All Things Policy. If you liked our show...